Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We are in the middle of a series we're calling Generous Living, Living Beyond Yourself. And, and it's been all about this idea that what I truly believe is that God created us in such a way that we want to be generous. We really do. And, and, and it feels good when we are giving to a need. It feels right because we are created in the image of a generous God. That's why it just feels so right. And, and God created us that way and, and blesses us so that we can bless other people. And we've been talking about that each week. And one of the things that I really do believe is that, that we have been given so much. And we have so much responsibility that comes along with that. Um, Last week, we talked about the fact that every one of us in this room, no matter whether we feel it or not, we are wealthy by the world standards, by the rest of the world standards. We are incredibly, incredibly rich. And someone came to me after the service um, lesson. They said, did you know there's a website? It's called globalrichlist.com. And you can go online. um, You can choose whatever currency, pound, dollar, euro, whatever it is, um, whatever you're paid in. Put in your annual income and hit calculate, and it will come up and tell you where you stand in the world comparatively. And so if you make $60,000 a year, we just did it, put it in there. If you make $60,000 a year, household income, you are in the, uh, the top 1% in this world. And equivalent to what most of the world lives with, that's close to like having $55,146,000. That's how rich you are. That's how rich I am. That God has truly, truly blessed us. And we have, to, we have to understand that. And understand the responsibilities and the opportunities that come with that. And, and so this whole idea of, of now that we know how rich we are, what are we going to do with it? And like I said, I truly believe that we would want to be more generous But I think the single thing that keeps us most from doing so is we don't feel we are free to do so. We we don't feel we have that financial freedom. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But what I wanted to do is start with a little true-false quiz. Um, If you would, take out one of the sermon note outlines out of your program. Grab one of of the pens and, and just number in one of those blank spaces, one through five. Okay, everybody participate. Come on, come on, come on. Just number one through five, real simple, just true or false. Just put a T or an F by the number, okay? Here's your quiz. Question number one, or statement number one. I have made an unwise purchase at least once in my life. (laughs) True or false, T or F. Number two. I have at least once compared my financial situation with that of someone else. True, false. Number three, I have written a check that was underdeposited. <laughs> True or false? You can cover your paper if you want to on that one. Number four, I have felt guilty at times over the affluence of my lifestyle. True or false? And the last one, number five, I have wished that I were more generous. All right. So here's what we're going to do, just so nobody gets embarrassed. If you have at least one T 
or you are sitting near somebody that you're pretty sure has at least one T on their paper, would you raise your hand? All right. Okay, so let's just settle it right now. We are all in this together. All right? Um, This morning, we're going to talk about financial freedom, and it's based on this idea that I do believe we want to be more generous. We just don't think we can. We don't have the financial freedom. We've got the wherewithal. It's just allocated other places, so we don't have the freedom to be as generous as we want to be. And so today, we're going to get very, very, very practical. We're going to look in in a section of the Bible called Wisdom Literature. It's the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and actually Psalms is also considered a part of that part of the Bible. Um, It's called wisdom literature. And what you'll find is, particularly in the Proverbs, is that if you read through the Proverbs, it doesn't read like any other parts of the Bible. It's not like reading the story of of God's work in this world. So it, it doesn't read like a story, and it's certainly not like one of the letters of the apostles to the churches, which are instructions. This is, this is godly wisdom. And what you'll find as you read through Proverbs, it seems like, like one verse has nothing to do with the one in front of it or behind it. And it's just like a little one or uh, two line or four line little saying. Um, and you kind of wonder, what does that have to do with the one in front of it? It just doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be all jumbled up. But really, if you read the Proverbs through consistently, you will find that there are these themes that are repeated over and over and over again. And it talks about some of those nitty-gritty type stuffs of life. And one that it talks about a lot is our finances. And so this morning, we're going to look primarily in the Proverbs, but also some in Ecclesiastes and Psalms. But we're just going to look at God's wisdom for handling our finances, how to get financial freedom God's way so that we can truly be generous as he wants us to be. And the the one proverb that I picked this morning that's just really, really good, that overarches the whole thing, is Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That sound familiar? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? What he's saying is, we need to get a grip on how we handle our finances and realize that they come from God. And they're not to be depended on for our livelihood and our security. That our security is in God. And like we said last week, when the nest egg kind of builds up, our security and our trust shifts. And so Solomon, who was quite arguably maybe the richest and wisest of all history, from his own experiences, wrote those words. God's wisdom for us. So this morning we're going to take a look at how do we do that? How do, we, how do we get this financial freedom? It's going to be very, very practical. And you might kind of think like, well, this is not very spiritual. Let me tell you, this is probably the most spiritual sermon I have preached. Because it goes to the heart of who we are. And how we manage our finances says an awful lot about what's really going on inside here. And so we're going to talk about that. And, this is, and, and let's say, this is not to give anybody guilt trips, okay? This is not about guilt. We already acknowledge we are all in the same boat, okay? We all know our own foibles, okay? But God has some really good instruction for us on how to make it better. 
And this is meant to be helpful in that. So four things that you can do, four key things that you can do to gain financial freedom. The first one is very, very simple. Choose a lifestyle that is consistent with your income. That is like financial freedom 101. Choose a lifestyle that is consistent with your freedom. We have to get off the more treadmill. It is a never-ending treadmill. This idea, and, and we are bombarded every day over and over and over again with these messages that say, want more, get more, earn more, spend more, accumulate more. It's all about more. More, 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 more. And that is a never-ending cycle. Never-ending. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Talked about this a little bit last week, this whole idea of the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. And so, well, how do you know if you love money? I mean, I don't think I love money. I like it. You know, we date, you know, but I don't, I don't how do I know that I love it, if I love it or not? Well, what, what Solomon says is, listen, if you have these feelings like you don't have enough, you love money. <laughs> If you're never satisfied, if you don't think if I just had a little bit more, that's a pretty good indication that you love money. Because whoever loves money never has enough. If you feel like you never have enough, guess what? An economist named H.F. Clark actually did some research, did a study, polled people, interviewed people, um, and he came up. What he found consistently consistently through all the people, no matter what their income level was, down near the bottom or up near the top, consistently everybody had this feeling their life would be just a bit better if they had more. And it didn't matter how much at every income level. level. It didn't matter how much you had. There was always this feeling like my life would be better if I had just a little bit more and actually came up with a number. Not a number, a percentage. That there was actually, and it was consistent, the same percentage all the way across the board. The percentage was 25%. If I just made 25% more than I make now, my life would be better and I would be happy. Calls it the 25% rule. It's so ingrained with us. No matter how much we have. We always think just a little bit more, 25% more, and then, and then, then I'll be good. But it's a never-ending cycle. And one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest reasons why we are never satisfied is this one thing, we are living above our means. We are living a lifestyle that is not consistent with our income. And we're always waiting for that raise or that bonus or that one thing that bumps up our income level so that we would be able to really sustain that, that lifestyle that we, we think we we're supposed to be living at. The problem is every time we get the raise, it's always playing catch up because the minute it gets up there, we increase our lifestyle. And so we need another raise to catch up. And, and it just keeps going that way. No matter what it is, because we are not living. And you might be the exception to the rule but I would venture to say, as a culture, as a society, 21st century America, everyone is living above their means. For the most part, you might be the exception, but for the most part, we are living a lifestyle that really is not consistent 
with our income. And we keep telling ourselves, but this is the lifestyle that I'm supposed to be living with this income. And the way that you know that is you're always playing catch up. And you are charging things on credit cards that you think you have to have to maintain your lifestyle. One of the biggest reasons is that we're playing this catch-up. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Because in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. How many know that verse to be true? (laughs) I mean, doesn't it feel that way? It's like, I know I put it in the bank, but it's not there. It's it sprouted wings. It's, it flew away somewhere. I have no idea where, but it's gone. That, that's the way it is. That's how it works. It all goes back to the idea that we were talking about last week, contentment. Contentment is choosing a lifestyle that is consistent with my income and saying that is enough. What it really is saying is that God is my provider. And if this is what he has provided, then this really is enough. And, and to want more is to really, in some ways, kind of slap God in the face and say, you're not doing your job, God, because you're not providing me enough. He said, no, what I've given you, that's enough. It's our hearts. So we've been saying this whole series, it really is a heart issue that our treasure is the true revealer of our hearts. And our hearts will always follow our treasure. Truth is, we really do need far less than we think. Philip Yancey tells a story of a man that wanted to spend a week in in a monastery. Just kind of pull back from life, spend spend a week only with God, and to do it in a place where he'd be kind of secluded. So, So he went to this monastery, he checked in, and one of the friars there said to him, If there's anything that you need, just let us know. And we'll show you how to get along without it. (laughs) We really don't need as much as we think we do. Choose a lifestyle. Select the lifestyle that is consistent with your income. And then stick to it. Stick to it. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The truth is, we could all dial it back if we had to. And some of us in this economy have had to. And we realize, I could have done this a long time ago. Somehow it takes the crisis to make us really pay attention. So choose the lifestyle that matches your income and then stick with it. Second thing I'm going to encourage you to do is keep a careful track of your spending. Keep track of your expenses. Because financial freedom takes intentionality. It's not going to happen automatically by magic all by itself. It takes intentionality. And you cannot handle your finances if you don't know where the money's going. You will never get a handle on it if you don't know where it's going. What you need is a plan. And this is part of a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So here's your homework this week. For the next seven days, keep track of everything you spend. Get a receipt. Keep the receipt. At the end of the day, 
total it up. And at the end of seven days, just see where your money is going. What I want you to do is follow the money. <laughs> follow the money. And in and, and, and these days, it is so easy to not think about it. You, you have a debit card and you just swipe the debit card and money is automatically paid. And you never feel the pain of it. There is something, there is something about taking your, out your wallet and actually taking some of that green stuff out and giving it to somebody else that hits you with the reality that it's not mine anymore. Somebody else has it now. I hope what I bought with it was worth it. With a debit card, you don't feel the pain. So what you might want to do is actually try for a week going strictly cash. I bet you, you will spend less when it actually comes out of your wallet. Just keep track. For the next seven days, just real easy. Just get a sheet of paper, the date, the, the expense, and what it went to. And then at the end of the week, just see where your money's going. Keep an eye on your money. Those of you who are golfers, what happens when you take your eye off the ball? It goes places you didn't want it to go. <laughs> Same thing with your money. You take your eye off the money, it's going to go places you don't want it to go. So just a real practical homework is keep track this week of every expense. Get a receipt. I've been doing this now. I, I started doing this last week. I, I'm not the genius. I read this in a book, but it just made so much sense. And it's so much along the lines of what God says. So I've been doing that this week. Just keep, I got, my pockets are filled with papers now. But I'm just keeping track. Where is my money going? You might be surprised. You might be surprised. Our money is the revealer of our hearts. It's the revealer of our character. So we are called to be diligent and to be faithful with it. Look at this next proverb. Proverb 28, verse 19. Those who work their land have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. A faithful person will be richly blessed. Work hard. Get what you earn. Be careful with it. And by the way, don't be chasing fantasies. What's a fantasy? Fantasy is the lotto. <laughs> a fantasy is I'm going I'm to scratch this off and I'm going to be in the bucks. That is a fantasy, statistically. And, and you know, this is what gets me about it. With, with the lotto, the drawing, the pot gets bigger and people buy more and more tickets. Do you know why the pot is bigger? Because there's now more tickets that you're competing with. The pot gets bigger, your chances go down, okay? Psychologically, you don't think that way, but that's the truth of it. It's chasing a fantasy. How many have received um, some kind of an email or communication from Nigeria telling you about all kinds of money you've come into? Okay? Yeah, that's a fantasy. In fact, I got this email this week, um, actually two weeks ago, uh, that the subject line is, you are dealing with the wrong office, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It says, attention beneficiary, I'm Mrs. Marina Luda of Tampa, Florida, 33629. I don't even know if that's the right zip code, but anyway, 
I, but I reside in New York for now. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm 51 years old. I'm one of those that took part in that inheritance compensation in Nigeria for many, many years ago, and they refused to pay me. I paid over $78,000 while in the U.S. trying to get my payment all to no avail. Wow. So I decided to try to Nigeria with, my comp- with all my compensation documents. So I was directed to meet Reverend Terry Tundi, who is a member of the Compensation Award Authority and a human rights activist. And I contacted him, and he explained everything to me. He said, whoever is contacting us through these emails are fake. He took me to the paying bank for the claim of my compensation payment. Right now, I am the most happiest woman on earth because I have received my compensation funds amounting to $11 million. Moreover, Reverend Terry Tundy showed me the full information of those who are yet to receive their payments, and I saw your email as one of the scam victims. That is why I decided to email you to stop dealing with those people. They are not your fund. They are only making money out of you. I will advise you to contact Reverend Terry Tundy. You have contact with him directly on the information below. You really have to stop dealing with those people as they are contacting you and telling you that your fund is with them. It is not in any way with them. They are only taking advantage of you, and they will dry you up until you have nothing. The only money I paid after I met Reverend Terry Tundy was $550 for the paperwork, which according to him is compulsory. Take note of that. Getting better. That is a fantasy. It says, don't chase fantasies. Manage your money. Work for it. Watch where it's going. Be faithful. Folly brings joy to the one who has no sense. But whoever has understanding keeps a straight course. There is no free lunch. If it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. It's just not true. Third one. Get rid of what Dave Ramsey calls dumb debt. Get rid of dumb debt. Now, I'm not going to debate this morning. I am not a financial counselor. I'm not a whiz at any of this. Um, Some will will debate, well, there is good debt and then there's dumb debt, okay? I won't debate that. Let's just all agree there is such a thing as dumb debt. Dumb debt is when you are paying interest and continuing to pay more for something that is actually worth less. That's dumb. That, that fits the definition. So let's just talk about that. It's called dumb debt. And, and let me, by the way, say, I'm dumb. <laughs> I may be the dumbest one in this room. I don't know. But it's just dumb. It's just dumb. It, 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 have, you know, it's interesting. What they call it is credit. Credit sounds good. I got credit. No, what you got is debt. Credit sounds better. Credit sounds better. That makes you sound like you're smart. You get credits when you're smart. You know, you get credits when you pass a college test. You know, you get credits. No, what you really have is debt. That's the true thing. And in fact, what they call it, not just, it's this thing called revolving credit. You've heard that term? You know where it got its name? Because it's like the revolver you're putting to your head. That's what it is. That's revolving credit. Solomon gets to the truth. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The truth of the matter is debt limits your financial freedom. It limits my financial freedom. And even if it's a 90-day, same as cash, six months, 
18 months, same as cash. Pay no interest for 18 months. You are still, even if you pay it all off in time, you are still a slave to a monthly payment. Even if not the interest, you're still, there's a section of your money that you have no control over. It now has control over you, and that's called slavery. So develop a plan to get out of debt. Now, again, I'm not smart enough, but I read a lot of books. And I got some really good advice on all this. First of all, understand you can get out of debt. You got to understand that. I got to understand it because we have this mentality that, well, there's no way out of debt. I mean, once you're in, you're in. That's how the world works. That's how we're, you just can't get out of debt. It's, it's inevitable. You have to understand you can get out of debt. I had to come to the realization I really can get out of debt. I really can. Look at this next verse. The one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts, don't be the one who shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched out from under you. You know mattress companies have payment plans now? I mean, that could be written today. I, I, I want to I print that one out and post it on sleep train, you know, on the door, you know? Uh, just, just a warning, you know? Your very bed may be snatched out from under you. <laughs> it is true. You can get out of debt. Now, getting into debt was a lot easier than getting out is going to be. But you can do it. One of the ways that you can do it is through our Financial Peace University. We've had a number of people who have gone through this program with huge amounts of debt and are on their way to financial freedom. I highly recommend it. And again, you're going to be among friends <laughs> who are all in the same boat as you. So don't be embarrassed about it. Next thing, just stop incurring new debt. There's a thought. Because if you're paying off one credit card, but you opened up another one, you're not getting out of debt. <laughs> okay? So decide to just stop incurring any more debt and then here's what you can do. Start paying off the debt that you do have. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Pay off the debt. Again, I'm not smart enough, but here's a great suggestion that I found. Total up all that revolving credit, all those credit cards, all that debt. Figure out which is the, the smallest loan that you have, the smallest debt that you have, rank them in order from the smallest to the largest, and then make the maximum payment that you can on that one at the top of the list, the smallest one, and then just pay minimum payments on the rest. Now, that may not be the highest interest rate, but here's the thing. When you pay one off, there's kind of a psychological victory that comes with that, that you actually are rid of one, one of your debts. And then get rid of that card, cut it up. Maybe you want to do that beforehand, but just pay off the one. And then once that one is paid off, then roll over that maximum payment into the next smallest one and pay that one off. Now, again, you're still going to be accumulating interest and paying debt on that. Stuff. That's unavoidable. You're going to no matter what. But the more that you start making progress and actually paying off some of your debt, the more that you realize you really can get out of it. So make a plan. And just start paying off your debt. 
I don't know if that's the best advice. It made sense to me, so that's what I'm doing. And then, then you're able, with the last one, to rearrange your financial priorities. See, once you decide to live within your means, and once you decide to start finding out where your money really is going, and then you start paying off the debt that you have, now starts coming the freedom. Now starts coming the freedom. And you can truly rearrange your financial priorities. In fact, I would say don't even wait until then. Because really, we need to reverse the whole thing. We talked about this the first week. We spend first. We pay off debt second. We give to the government because we have to third. If there's anything left, maybe we save some. And then, very, very last, if we've got anything left, then we give to God or others. But what we really need to do is reverse that order. Reverse the order. Give first. Save second. Live on the rest. Because you see, that one order, we talk about, it's all about me, 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 God and others at the bottom. And that's, you know what they call that? Selfish. When you reverse the order, it does away with the selfishness. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him the first share of all your crops. It is an act of faith, which is what spirituality is all about. It is an act of worship, which is also a big part of your spiritual life. And it starts to loosen stuff's grip on you. When you start putting God first and then, and then give to things that will help meet the needs of other people. Whoever is kind to the poor, he says, lends to who? To the Lord. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. See, now when you, you start giving to God, that's an act of worship. That's an act of faith. That, that's starting to break the grip. But, but then, then start giving to help the needs of other people. What that does is it starts changing your heart towards compassion. And that's what you want to see happening. And then, and then start saving. Build up an emergency fund. And this is really, really important. Not saving up for a big purchase, just an emergency fund. Having some cash on hand when life happens and life happens. And one of the biggest reasons we get into trouble credit-wise is we don't have the emergency fund. So when something happens, a car breaks down or hospital stay or something like that. We don't have the savings. We don't have the reserves. So what do we do? We put it on the card and now we're deeper in debt. So build up an emergency fund. And, and it doesn't have to be a lot, but start consistently doing it. Look at this next one, Proverbs 13, 11. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Don't think because you can't put thousands of dollars in savings right away that you shouldn't even bother trying. Do something. Start saving. Start building up an emergency fund. There's no quick fix to financial freedom. It just takes consistent, disciplined follow-through. I want to go back to the passage we read at the beginning. Because what I want us to do is I want us to make this our prayer. Put it back up on the board. 
And I would like you as we close to make this your prayer. Like I said, this, this might seem like it's just been really practical and all about money and very unspiritual, but it really is not. It really is not. So would you pray with me this prayer? Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Pray it with me, would you please? Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.